It's just great to be together, and we get to hop into a new sermon series. If you're just joining with us, perfect. Um, I'd love for you to open your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, there's some provided. So it's Matthew chapter 14, and for some of you who don't have a Bible, feel free to grab those that are around you in front, and that's page 820. If you don't know how to get around in the Bible, that's okay. Um, So we'll give you that page number, 820. And then if you've got your phone or your iPad or whatever you're using that, then just type in Matthew chapter 14, and you'll get right there. And we'll be able to share one of the great accounts, one of the great events that happens in the life of Jesus. It's, I've heard so many great, refreshing things after the first service. People just saying, oh, this, I love this passage, and it's such a great thing. There's so many things in there and so many layers. And we're not going to be able to talk about all the layers, but there's some really fantastic things. Now, before I jump in, there are two things I want to remind you of first um, we're just jumping into the season of praying over and selecting new elders, the people who lead in a servants, our fellowship. And if you have suggestions, if you're one of the uh, people connected to our body and you've got suggestions for people to serve in that way, if you would just write that down in your card and slip it into the offering afterwards, uh, that would be really helpful for us. We'll be praying about that and offer suggestions. You can shoot those to us uh, online. That's great. So we're in that process now again, and if you'd be praying over it, it'd be really helpful. Uh, second thing, if you have been doing memory stuff, a few weeks ago I challenged people to think through Matthew chapter 5-7, through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, and you can, you can join now because there's no time limit on when it's due. Okay, there's no like homework due this, but so if you'd like five years from now, you come up to me and say, Ron, I finally got it. I'm like, that'll be all good. It'll be great. And uh, the deal is, if you memorize Sermon on the Mount and give it to me, then you get free dinner wherever you want in the city. So let me know. <clears throat> that is in Fremont, not the city, San Francisco. That'd be a little tougher. So, so um, but yeah, we've already, I've already talked to several people who are like, man, I already got chapter five down and I'm in chapter six. And they're like reciting it to me. I think that's fantastic. I love that. So if you would um, just start now and it's just to refresh us, to inspire us, to think about the things that God is pouring into our life. Which reminds me, this sermon series we're jumping into has nothing to do with pigs. It has everything to do with the investments that God is making into our lives. And we're going to start this morning by one of the major investments that God makes into us and that he's calling us to make into the life of other people. So there's a series of things. If you look at the life of Jesus, that he invested into those who were following him, his disciples, in that period of time where he was raising up leaders. And that group of people that he was investing in, he was doing something really strategic into. It wasn't just random stuff. He wasn't just, oh, you know, if they pick it up, great, or whatever, I'll just, you know, throw whatever out there and see what sticks. He was saying, he had in mind, what did he want to invest into the life of those who followed him? And so when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the first few books of the New Testament, you see Jesus' life, and he is investing with thought and purpose behind his investments strategically into the life of people around him. And it's really important for us as you read those accounts to say, what was he doing? What kind of investments was he making? Like, you know, in your own personal life, you don't want to make stupid investments. All, all of us have done that, right? We've, we've invested in some new shiny thing and regretted it in the past. Like, why do we ever do that? But we want to invest in the things that last and that will produce, be fruitful for us. In the same way, Jesus, who was a master investor, invests in things that are strategic. 
that God is investing into the lives of those people who would reproduce in an amazingly fruitful way. And one of those people he's investing in is you. You might ask the question, Ron, yeah, but do it. does it really matter? Is it really important that I know what some guy 2,000 years ago invested in the life of you know, a group of other people? Is that really critical for me? It's important, a legitimate question, I think. And we can ask it at church. Don't, don't look down at each other. But here's the deal. According to God's word, according to scripture, God knows you through and through. He knows you better than your parents know you. He knows you better than your family or your best friend knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Think about that for a second. That the Lord God of heaven and earth knows you better than you know yourself. There's a well-worn phrase that says this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you heard that before? Some of you have. And it's true. That's what God's word teaches us, that he loves us despite our failings, our struggle, our challenges, our sin, our rebellion against him. That he loves us and he has a purposeful plan for us. For us to live into a life that God has designed for us to fully enjoy and to participate in. And that has to do with the investments that he makes into us. And we're going to focus on this first investment. It's foundational to all the other investments that he makes. It's found here in a, an event that some of you have heard of before. All of us can understand. It's a wonderful event. Matthew chapter 14, starting verse 22. Listen to God's word to you, if you would, please. Then he made, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in, for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It's I. Have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why'd you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly are you are the Son of God. A little short story. It's filled with action and pathos and emotion and risk, danger, all kinds of weather. 
And it's filled with this great moment, great conclusion, isn't it? What happens at the end? Fishermen, um, they're stuck far from safety. Some are fishermen. Others are just like accountants and other professions. And they're in this boat together. And, um, And they're afraid for their lives. And as the story tells the story, Jesus actually sent them there, didn't he? And then Jesus does the incredible. It's hard to get our minds around that event, right? How do you picture this, where this raging storm is and the boat's rocking and these people are afraid and Jesus walks through the storm and he approaches the boat. And as he approaches the boat, they're screaming like a bunch of fourth grade girls. They're like just afraid to scream at these guys, right? They're screaming. And, uh, and they make this assumption. It's, it's got to be a ghost, that's a good assumption, right? They, don't, they just don't know what to, what to think. And then they discover that it's, it's Jesus there. And somehow birthed into Peter's spirit is this question, you know, like this risk he's going to take. And he says, Lord, if it's really you, I'd like to do that too, man. Right? And at the invitation... Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat. Peter's the only one, right? All the other guys, they're in the boat. They're holding on. Still screaming. Peter gets out. And he's, he starts taking steps on water right, to Jesus. It's remarkable. How do, you, how do you even picture that? I don't know. And, and he starts taking these steps to Jesus. And then he gets his eyes, his focus off Jesus he loses his nerve, starts looking around at the storm, gets all scared, starts sinking, like spitting up salt water, and he needs help. Right? He's, he screams out, Lord, save me. <laughs> and Jesus reaches out and grabs hold of him, takes him to the boat. They get in the boat, Peter and Jesus, and now they got a bunch of people in the boat with Jesus, and everything gets quiet. It's a great scene, isn't it? And they come to this great conclusion, like all together, things start fitting into place for them. Things that were told in the Old Testament that they had heard these stories from. They were little. They had heard these stories together, that God was like this. But they never really experienced it firsthand like they had just experienced, and they're sitting on the water like that. And they come to this conclusion that they're in the boat with God. And because who else does what has just happened to them? No one else can do this. No great teacher. No one else can do this. They come to this great conclusion, and then worship breaks out. Apparently someone brought a piano or guitar or something. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> worship breaks out in the boat, and they... They make a statement, an affirmation together. Truly, you are the Son of God, which are words that God loves to hear. He loves to hear it when we come to that conclusion, when, when we understand more of his character, more of his nature. This is a story that's not really at its focus about a boat. It's not really even about a storm. It's, it's not even centrally about Peter, though 
It's very cool. And we really totally identify with what happens to Peter, right? Because we've all been there, most of us trying to take a step of faith and then losing our focus and our nerve and, you know, feeling like we're totally, you know, swamped and need of rescue of God. Once again, like our faith is a little small. We hear from God those voices, you have little faith. And you're like, I know it, I know it, I know it. Ah! It, It's not about that centrally. You know what the story's about? It's the church answer. Go ahead and say it. It's about Jesus, right? Story at its heart, it's about Jesus. It's about the fact that Jesus commands the world. That, that, that's who he is. And how mind-bending was that for the disciples to discover? And they didn't come to that conclusion overnight. Like they had been through a series of experiences. They were going to go through another set of experiences that were going to keep reaffirming this great truth that Jesus commands the world. And when they sensed it, when they experienced it firsthand, it's like knocked them back. And they... They could only worship. They could only make that statement together. It doesn't happen just overnight to us. We don't discover instantly. God has been teaching this lesson to you. Throughout the course of your life, he's been teaching this lesson. In fact, Scripture teaches us that he's been teaching this lesson to us since the very beginning of the world. He's been teaching the lesson that he commanded. Who created all things? Who, who was it that was with Abraham and made promises to Abraham and did remarkable things through all the patriarchs? Who did what he did with Moses' life and in Joshua's life and the life of all the judges and the kings? Who did these things and who came in the flesh? It was a story that's connected. So to help us understand the connection of the story of the Old Testament and New Testament, of our own connection, we're going to do a little thing during the message. Hope it won't totally irritate those of you who are like, just like, give me the meat, okay? But the rest of us who learn different ways, some of us are kinetic learners, we're going to do it this thing. Um, in the corners, we've got string. And we're going to have you pass the string as you go. Thank you very much. If you guys are, does someone in the, got string in that corner? Yeah, just hand it to somebody right there, Keith, and you can cruise it around. And as the message goes, I want you to just grab hold of the string, and we're going to move the string along over here and upstairs through there, and the string's got to go down. We've got to connect it somehow. So those of you, you all know what's going to happen, but we're going to try to see if we can do it together to help us understand that all of the truth of Scripture connects, and we're connected to it, and we're connected to each other in what God is going to teach out in this passage. So... First big point is that he commands our world, and he's always been doing this from the very beginning. And they find their climax two weeks from now, when we all celebrate the resurrection together. That's the climax of the story of God's been teaching people that he is the commander of the world, of life and death and all things that matter to us, that he commands it at his word. He commands it. And it was helpful for all people of all time to have Jesus come in the flesh, to come to redeem us, a people for his own, to give his own life and not stay dead. The tomb is empty, if you didn't know that. And it teaches us that he's the commander, always has been, always will be, still is right now. 
Now, notice how God is driving the events in this particular story. So Matthew chapter 14, it begins that Jesus made these guys get into the boat. I don't know how it happened. I just know the original language is really strong about this, that he made them get into this boat. And then he left them, right? He sent them on their way and he goes and prays. By the way, that's something that was a habit of Jesus throughout his life to get quiet time away. He was modeling it for them, helping them understand the significance of our time away to pray. And so Jesus was doing that. And he also knew that this moment would be transformational in the life of his followers. He was about to make a huge investment into them that would change their perspective of their world. In fact, it would change believers' perspective for all time. This story is well known for people who follow Jesus. So he's pouring this out. And he's praying about the effects, I believe, there on the mountain. And these guys enter into a storm. Was it random, the storm? They're like, Jesus, like, send them off and didn't check, you know, like his weather app. And all of a sudden, surprised by the storm? No, of course. The Bible teaches us that, that God is in control of storms. Listen to this. I don't know where your life is right now. But I know every one of us have been rocked at times by things coming up unexpectedly that rock our boat. And we're in the middle of the storm. God's still in control. If that's where you're living right now, God is still in control of it. He's still in control and he's teaching this lesson that he is still the commander. And he has a purpose in the storm. Is the knowledge and power of God limited? Is God sending us into storms because he's cruel or he just didn't see it coming? That's not the story of scripture. The story of God's word is that he's purposeful with the storms that we have. And here's a life-changing truth to consider that God has been driving the events of your story from the very beginning of your life. God has been driving the circumstances to teach you lessons, to draw you close to himself. He's been ordaining your steps, as scripture has said. And yes, some storms we've caused ourselves. We've jumped into storms ourselves. We've been storm chasers in our own foolishness, on our own stupidity, right? We do things to rebel against God and we jump into things and it it looks like wreckage. God is still the commander. He's still in control, even in the midst of our lack of control, when we're feeling out of control in all ways. And this storm that comes up in Matthew chapter 14, God uses for purpose. And as many of you have discovered already, Jesus does not let us just flounder in the storm. He doesn't do it just because he likes to see us choke on salt water. That's not what God is like. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He's right there in the midst of it all. In the worst of it all, God is present and with you. Now, you might not acknowledge that. You might struggle against the purposes of God. 
But Scripture is very clear from the very beginning all the way through. It's all connected, every story helping us understand that God is the commander, regardless of our reaction, even if we're screaming like a bunch of little girls. God's still in command and in control. Into that saying, he brings his presence. I love the fact that, um, that when in the midst of this storm, and the midst of the reaction of the disciples screaming, it's a ghost, right? That somehow birthed inside of Peter is the spirit to say, hey, call me out. I want to do that. Can I do that? Lord, if that's really you, can I have some of that? Can I, can I jump out of this boat? That, that he's actually willing. None of the rest of them were willing to get out of the boat, right? All the rest of them are in the boat. That he calls out to the Lord. That he lets go and when... God calls him out. When Jesus says, come, that Peter actually steps out. How weird would that be to step out with that kind of faith and start to follow Jesus? And in the story, it seems like kind of a ripoff, doesn't it? Because Peter starts to take some steps. He starts to flounder and starts to sink. But none of the rest of them got out of the boat. And Peter's the only one where Jesus says to him, hey, you have little faith. Come on. Right? But Jesus says that purposely into Peter's life, spurring what he needed to spur into Peter's life. Like his message is unique to Peter's experience. The reason why we're so connected, why I so connect to this, and my, so many people connect to this story, is that we see our, ourselves in Peter. Right? Many of us in this room have attempted to take a step out, a risky step. It felt very risky when you did it. To trust Jesus. Right? And then, you know, right? Because it's common amongst us that you blew it. You started to look at other things. You started to trust things that were not Jesus. Like your, your achievements in school or at work or your family or your finances. You started, started to put your security there and not in Jesus. And when that happened, you... You wanted to go back to the boat, or you started to sink, and, and, and you felt that correction from God to call you out to be a person of faith. You've struggled with that. You forgot that he's the commander of the world. Peter, in the moment when he starts to sink, calls out to the Lord, which is the only thing we can do in those moments. Right? And Jesus does what he always does. Listen, he always does this, because... He loves to do it. He saved him. When I call out to the Lord, he's never going to say, you know what, you got yourself into this mess. When you call out because of the struggles in your life, maybe it's an addiction. Perhaps your marriage is struggling. Maybe school, you're feeling like a, you're just feeling the weight of failure. Maybe it's disobedience in a relationship that's gone south. When you call out to the Lord, Lord, save me, he never says no. Always says yes. He, al- he always says, I have you. I've got you. That's his nature. It's who he is. He, he loves and lives to save. So he grips onto Peter, and Jesus hoists him back on the boat. 
And he joins him there. And then they all discover his power, right? The wind and the waves, they all get quiet. That got their full attention. And they were all inspired at the same moment with this conclusion about the power of God and what their response should be. Jesus wasn't pulling off some magic trick here. And he wasn't doing it just randomly to show off. He was doing it to reveal his purpose, who he was. For many of us, the weakness of our faith is directly tied to the present weakness of our view of God. We have weak faith because our God is human-sized. It's small. We haven't understood his greatness, his power. I mean, who can trust something that's weaker than you? I don't. But God's not weaker like that. Jesus is greater than you believe him to be. He's more powerful than you trust him to be. I'm going to repeat that again because it's our experience. Every person in this room experiences this. Jesus is greater than you believe him to be. When I first trusted Jesus, I thought he was great. I was right. But I didn't understand his majesty, his power, his sovereignty. I, didn't, I still don't fully appreciate that and understand it. And it affects the way that I live my life, the way that I respond to things, the way that I commit myself. It affects the way that I think. My faith, my understanding of who God is, it still has to grow. And he's more powerful than you trust him to be. You haven't fully experienced God. You might have been a believer for 50 years and you're in this room and you've experienced all these things in your life and you've trusted him, but your trust is not as big as it should be yet. It still needs to grow. And the story in Matthew 14, Jesus is also teaching us that, that he loves to calm our fears. Right? They're in the middle of this storm. He's brought them to this point. Their fears have come to the surface and they're just out of control. And Jesus steps in to help calm their fears. And again, this is one of those themes that happens throughout Scripture. From the very beginning, you see Jesus say, Do not fear. How many times do you hear that phrase in Scripture, right? Where he's speaking into our fears because it's our fears that keep us from faith. It's our fears that keep us from trusting in who God truly is. And we grab onto all these insecure things, right? We're grabbing onto, like, we're grabbing onto the things that are as stable as that boat in the storm. We grab onto our financial security, our bank account presently. Hey, you know what? Maybe with the next presidential election, that'll all change. I don't know. We grab onto relational security, grab onto our health. This week, that might radically change for us. We don't know. What is secure enough to hold onto? What will address our fears? And from the very beginning of Scripture, all these stories are written so that we might understand that if we place our confidence in Him, we don't have to fear. When Jesus in the New Testament, finally arrives, the Messiah finally comes. The message you hear given from the angels and everybody around the Christmas story, this repeated message, don't fear, right? 
We're going to fear because God is coming and he's going to be present and live amongst us. And that's going to bubble up within us all our own insecurities. And Jesus speaks into that. Do not fear. He is with you and he's the master of the storm. He's the master of the storm. This is how Paul describes Jesus in God's word in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is the commander of all, is what it's saying. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I can find my security in him when I can't find my security in any other place. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that is above all things, first priority. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and that fullness was in the boat with those guys in the moment. The fullness of God in their boat. So do you hold on to the boat or do you hold on to something more secure? You hold on to the Lord. God is not disinterested. He will not abandon his children. God always draws near, addresses those fears and brings a calm through deepening faith in him. That's who he is and how he always operates. And his message as he addresses our fears, is this. Faith, would you trust me? Would you trust me? So Jesus calls out faith as a central point of our experience with him. Again, from the very beginning of God's word, all the way through, it's connected. It's a story of people trusting in him or not trusting in him of Adam and Eve trusting in the word of God or not, and the consequences. Of all those patriarchs that you read about in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, will you trust me and my promises to you? It's it's about how Israel wrestled with those promises all throughout their history. It's about how we wrestle with the promises of God. It's about faith. And that's the central investment Jesus is making in this account. Jesus was investing real solid faith that can endure storms and struggles and fears. And the thing of it is, the logic of faith is counterintuitive, isn't it? Our nature is to trust the things that we can sense and touch and feel. Trust in ourselves or our families or our resources or our achievements. Trust on all the things that are like the boat that's rocking in a storm that has no real security. We do that. It's crazy. But that's the way that our human mind is bent. Where God is calling us out to trust him, we really struggle with that. So, was the boat more secure or was Jesus more secure when it came to Peter in the moment? What's most secure and what makes most sense for you to trust? And just like all the other key lessons in this account, the theme of Jesus calling out faith, it's a part of this string of events in your life, right? in your personal experience. God calls out faith to you. And it's, it's not where it should be yet. My faith, 
your faith? It's not where it should be yet. And yet from Genesis to Revelation, the story is told where God is investing this. God is calling you out, not to a flimsy faith in something mystical, but rather to a robust faith in what's real. It's not a faith that's anti-intellectual, but a faith that's true, that makes sense, that's completely reliable. He's calling you out of your insecurity to the one thing that is really rock solid that you can truly trust. Why? Because Hebrew tells us without faith, it's impossible to trust God. One of the most influential people of the last century in America was a woman. Her name was Henrietta Mears. Don't know if you know her story at all, but Henrietta Mears was influential in the spiritual development of a whole host of people that changed the face of faith in America, including Billy Graham. She helped um, develop a camp, Forest Home, large camp in Southern California. She developed a Sunday school. She got to a, 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 a church that had a few hundred people in their classes and raised it to over 6,500 people were going to her Sunday school classes. She wrote books that millions, sold millions of copies. She was a woman um, that people had a huge esteem of, great woman of faith. At the end of her life, just before she died, someone was having a conversation with her, and they said, if you had it all to do over again, what would you change? You've you've had this huge influence on all these people, right? And and people love you, and they they look at you with this great esteem and see this great faith in you. They want to be like that, and, and you've used your gifts, your talents in such crazy great ways. Um, what would you change? Would you change anything? And Henrietta said, I would trust Jesus more. That's a great word. I would trust Jesus more. I want you to look at your life, the things that you're trusting. Would any of us who follow Jesus disagree with Henrietta's statement? You know what? what I really need to do this week is trust Jesus more. For those of you who follow him, I want that to be a theme of your prayer life this week. Just ask the Lord to provoke faith in you. In the middle of whatever happens, God, I want to learn how to trust you more, to not be content at the level of my faith right now. That's so huge for you personally. But you know, your faith is connected like this string. Our faith is connected because the way that Irene over here lives her life this week affects me and my faith. Our faith is connected that way as a church family and we want to be a family of faith that trusts God for big things, right? That grows in our faith is not content. Now maybe you have never taken that first step of faith and I would just want to strongly encourage you with this. Getting out of the boat takes guts, right? And Peter did that, it's huge. So I acknowledge that, I understand it. And maybe your heart's like, oh man, I don't know if I could do it. It does take that step of faith where you take the first step and you acknowledge that you 
in and of yourself, you can't do it. That all the things you've been gripping onto are insecure and you want to trust the Lord. You want to trust God himself who has loved you from the very beginning. But there's still a storm going around. It's still scary. I just want you to know that Jesus will never let you sink. You might feel you're floundering at times, but taking that first step is really important. That you just need to tell him, God, I want to trust you. I'm going to cast my belief on you. I acknowledge that I've broken. I messed up. I have sinned in my life. I've disobeyed you. I'm separated from you, and I want a relationship with you. Just get honest with God. And as you do, say, I want to get out. I just want to trust you and learn how to do that. I'm going to stop going this direction. I want to go your direction. And I just confess that to you and commit my life to you. And when you do that, when you have that honest conversation, God will take you. He will rescue you. He will save you. That's his nature. He loves to do it. And he will change you. So I want you to close your eyes right now together, if you would, please. And if this is your first time doing that like those kids did, those children did last week. They trusted the Lord for the very first time. I want you to just say those words out to the Lord. God, I, I am broken. I have sinned against you. I confess that. I'm just honest with you, God. You know me through and through. And I, I, I need your forgiveness. God, it's scary, but I want to trust you. And, and Lord, um, I want to turn around. I want to stop following my own stuff, and I want to follow you and commit my life to you. I want to be your child. If you pray that prayer, Scripture is very clear that you are now a new creation. You are, you are now new with him. And I would love to have a conversation with you about that. People here right afterwards, I would love to have a conversation with you. If you've made that commitment of faith in Christ, would you just be bold enough to raise your hand? Just let me know so I can be praying for you. Yeah, I just, I just made that first step. I want to I trust the Lord. Great. Good. Great. Fantastic. Anybody else? For the rest of us, would you just take a moment to pray a prayer of faith? Just, God, don't let me sit where I'm at. I want to grow in faith with you. I'll give you just a moment to pray that prayer. Just be honest with him. Lord Jesus, we want to trust you more. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.